My name is Troy Hawks. I'm one of the pastors here on staff at North Bible Church, and I have the privilege of uh, bringing the message to you this morning. Larry and his wife Jenna are in California for a wedding and enjoying some downtime, so um, I get to be here with you all doing this. I, I don't know, um, it seems to me, uh, in my experience, that uh, this world and the people in it um, are, are capable of piling a mountain of expectations on me. It just feels like I can be buried by expectations as I go through my daily walk, my daily life. And, and, and not only that, but I, I'm pretty good at, at piling additional expectations on myself, um, many of which I will never meet because I was never designed to, never intended to uh, accomplish those things or meet those expectations. I have added those on to myself. You may find the same thing at work, um, uh, literally at work, um, in your life. At work, there are expectations of you. Uh, family brings expectations for you. Uh, the culture brings expectations for you of who you should be and how you should be. And, and you may notice this additional dynamic as, as you go through your day, whether it's at work or at school or at your children's school or a gathering. You see, you see hundreds of people going hundreds of different directions, and you start to ask, should I be doing that? Right? Is that something I need to be doing, something I should be doing? Is that, is that who I should be? Something I need to add in, to pile on? to my plate, with all the different options, with all the different expectations, how do we sort through what we should be doing? Uh, not only what we should be doing, but who we should be. Well, in our passage this morning, uh, Jesus is going to give us three simple words. They're very simple words but they are powerful words to help us narrow down the field of expectations, narrow down the field of options of who we should be and how we should be uh, in our lives. Uh, would you pray with me as we get ready to open God's Word this morning? Father, thank you for your Word. I, I thank you for the way it brings clarity uh, in a world of expectations, Lord, your Word helps us to clarify, brings things into proper focus. And so, Father, that's what we ask this morning, is that as we examine your word, um, that you would bring focus, bring clarity, that you would speak to our hearts. Um, right now, Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds, and we ask you uh, to speak with the kind of clarity that only you can bring. And, uh, Lord, we pray that you would lead us in a direction that you would have us go as a result of what you speak to us today. And we ask it all in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, for those of you that have Bibles, whether they're uh, the print edition or the digital edition, we're going to be in John chapter 21 this morning. You can go ahead and, and turn there. But just to set the stage a little bit for you, um, our passage you may have guessed this by the chapter number, um, is after the crucifixion of Jesus, 
It's after his crucifixion. Um, Jesus has already appeared to his disciples on a couple of occasions. Uh, you'll recall him uh, showing up in the upper room, and then Thomas um, has an opportunity to uh, put his finger in his side and to see the wounds uh, in his hands. And then uh, after those two appearances by Jesus, um, the, the disciples are gathered together again, and Peter says, guys, I'm going fishing. And six other disciples then decide to join Peter on his fishing expedition. I, I like to think of it as when Peter didn't know what to do, he did what he knew how to do. Uh, and so when he wasn't sure what to do about this call that Jesus had placed on his life, he decided to go fishing. And so six other disciples join him fishing, and they spend all night fishing. And then in the morning, they notice that there's a man on the shore. Uh, and it turns out that it's Jesus. Uh, and not only is it their friend Jesus, but he has breakfast waiting for them on the shore. Now, that's a good friend. Um, he doesn't just show up, but he brings breakfast. Um, and so the disciples get out of the boat. They join Jesus on the shore. And a very memorable uh, passage takes place where Peter is asked three times by Jesus, Peter, do you love me? And Peter has the uh, ability, the opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus three times. Um, which is very symbolic because prior to that, Peter had denied Jesus three times. And so we see this restoration and this recommissioning of Peter uh, there on the shore after breakfast with Jesus. Uh, but the, the passage that we're going to look at today takes place at that same time, at that same location, immediately after Peter is restored and recommissioned, uh, the passage goes on. Uh, but we often forget about this part of that sequence, um, this part of that moment. And we find it in John chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 18. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly, I say to you. I wonder if at this moment, with these words... Uh, Jesus has just said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter's like, okay, we're good. And then Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. Uh, now, the reason this may have been a flashback moment for Peter is the last time that Jesus said to Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, it was followed with, you will deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And I have a feeling that these words, truly, truly, I say to you, transported Peter back to that moment when the prediction of his denial of Jesus was front and center. So I believe Peter's mind is already reeling and wondering what's coming next. And then Jesus says this in verse 18, he goes on and he says, When you were young, you used to dress yourself or literally gird yourself, uh, and you walked wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. I have a feeling that for Peter, this was a, wait, wait, what? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You just recommissioned me, and now here I am in this moment and you're delivering this to me. 
It was a, wait, what moment for Peter? Uh, it, it may be a little bit coded for us, but for Peter it was pretty clear. At, at that time, this, this phrase, stretch out your hands, was a reference to crucifixion. Uh, that Jesus was predicting how Peter was going to die. That Peter, who had said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus is saying, actually, you will. You will lay down your life for me. Because coming soon to a life near you is you walking the road that I walked, your hands being stretched out, and you being led where you do not want to go. And then Jesus said two more words. I, I wonder if Peter even heard them. His mind was reeling so badly. Jesus said simply, follow me. Peter, it says in the next verse, verse 20, it says, Peter turned. Now, it's evident at this point that Jesus and Peter, at some point, have walked away from the other group and are by themselves. And upon hearing this, stretch out your hands and be carried where you do not want to go, Peter turns. Now, we don't get a lot of clarity here about his reaction. Did Peter just stop in his tracks? Uh, did he turn around? to go back where he had come from, not wanting to proceed in the direction that he was headed? Did he, did he just look over his shoulder to see if anyone was in earshot, if anyone else had caught this message that was just delivered to him? Uh, and it says that he turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. This is the Apostle John, uh, the one who had been reclining at table close to him for the Last Supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Uh, I think it probably sounded like, Lord, what about that guy? Right? I mean, why me? What about him? I have a feeling that at this point, Jesus felt a little bit like a parent, right? With the, the why me? You know, why do I have to do everything, right? Why does she always get to? Why do I never get? Why don't I have? It was a, it was a parenting type moment uh, for Jesus. Now, we wonder, was was. Peter possibly motivated by concern for John? Could it have been a, wow, what about him, Lord? What about my friend John? But, but Jesus' response, the way he responds to Peter's question, indicates that it was more of this why me and what about him type of scenario. Well, Jesus' answer uh, is pretty direct. And quite frankly, a lot better than a lot of the parenting answers that I hear, like, well, because. Jesus gets right to the point with his response to Peter. He says, it says in verse 22, Jesus said to him, 
if it is my will that he remain until I come. What is that to you? I have a feeling that in that moment, you could have heard a pin drop. The weight of that question in Peter's ears, on Peter's heart. I have a feeling that Jesus just let the question, uh, obviously rhetorical in nature, if, if it's my will, what is that to you? And then Jesus follows with these three simple but far-reaching words. You follow me. You follow me. We get some insight from the text in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, follow me, 23 times. Only in this scenario does Jesus say, you follow me. It's emphatic. The focus is on Peter. The focus is on his responsibility as a disciple, on his call. Uh, it's, it's not a general follow me. It's a you follow me. It's singular. It's, it's individual. Uh, it belongs only to Peter as a unique person. Uh, because Jesus knows that each call for every disciple of Christ is as unique as the DNA that's found in every hair on their head, every piece of fingernail, blood, skin, unique, one of a kind. And so Jesus says, you, Peter, you follow me. You know, I like to think of God as a creator, not a duplicator. You know, so often we want him to duplicate. We want him to take us and, and duplicate us into something that we see and we like. But that's not who he is. He's a creator. Every creation is an original. And so every call, every individual answer to that call is as unique as that individual. He says, you follow me. To follow, in the most literal sense, means to move behind in the same direction. And of course, it couldn't have been more true in, in Peter's case, uh, that he would be moving behind Christ as he continued to follow him, that Peter's road would also be a road to a cross. Uh, that Peter would also suffer crucifixion, uh, in his case, martyrdom, for the sake of Christ. And follow is important for us as well, and in Peter's case, because 
If you're trying to follow someone through Phoenix in a car, what's the most important thing to do when you're following them? Keep them in sight. Right? See where they're going. Don't lose sight. In Peter's case, he had gotten his eyes off of Jesus and turned to look at his companions. And asking the, why me? What about him? Jesus says, no. You follow. You're following me. Keep your eyes on me. Which brings us to me. Follow me, Peter. Jesus. The exact imprint of your heavenly Father. The one who called you. The one who's been teaching you and pouring into you for the last three years. Follow me. Not, not the pattern of this world. Not the expectations of others. Follow me. Because the only one that you're going to give an account of at the end of your life is me. It's me. It's not your neighbors. It's not your friends. It's not your family members. Though they have a lot of expectations for you. Expectations of who you should be. How you should be. What you should be doing. How you should raise your kids. How you should lead your family. Jesus says, no, no, no. You follow me, Peter. Because when we follow Jesus is when we discover that he has specific purposes and plans and opportunities for us that we will only discover on a road that follows after him. You know, it's, I think it's especially significant that, that Peter would turn and look at John, that John would be the one that he would say, what about this guy? Because if you go back to the beginning of your Gospels, you'll see that Peter and John answered the same call on the same beach, on the same day, to the same Lord. But their paths will now begin to diverge because of the unique purposes and plans that Christ has for them. And so Peter will go on to strategic pastoral ministry among Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Uh, he'll be a martyr that dies for his faith, that strengthens the church through his suffering. And in a verse that we skipped over as we were reading, John says that Jesus told him this to specify the type of death by which he was to glorify God. That, that the specific mission that Jesus had for Peter wasn't just arbitrary. It was the plan that God had from all eternity for him to be glorified, not only in Peter's life, but in his death as well. 
John, on the other hand, would not be called to strategic pastoral ministry, but rather recording the life of Christ. Of being the one who witnessed revelation and recorded it for us and for all eternity. His life would be a witness as well, but it would be one through his writings. And unlike Peter, he would grow to be an old man and live a long life. It was the same call on the same day, on the same beach, two fishermen following the same master, but their lives would be very different because of the purposes that Jesus had for them. You know, we fall into this trap of comparison as well. Uh, That like Peter, we have a tendency. Well, let me just say, like Peter, (laughs) we're all a little bit like Peter. Peter had his moments of shining and its moments of not so much. Uh, He was a new creation that often gave glimpses of the old man. And, And we're all a little bit that way. But, but we have a tendency to fall into the same comparison trap that Peter did, that, that we want to look around and we want to say, well, what about him? What about her? Why me? This guy named uh, Theodore Roosevelt, I hadn't heard of him. I don't know if he has a Twitter or anything. But uh, this guy named Theodore Roosevelt said one time that comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. You know, that just immediately flashed me back to a couple of months ago when we were talking about that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so comparison is the exact opposite of that. It's, it's the thief of contentment. It's the thief of joy. I like what Pastor Andy Stanley had to say about comparison. He says, there is no win in comparison. Uh, there's no finish line. There's no final sense of satisfaction. There is no win. If you're better than people, that doesn't help you. If you're not measuring up to other people, it doesn't help you. There is no win in comparison. You know, we could learn a lot from Peter. When Jesus announces in Matthew chapter 16 that he's going to be turned over to the authorities and he's going to be crucified and he's going to rise on the third day, Peter pulls him aside and begins to rebuke him. He says, no, (laughs) never, right? May this never happen to you. And I don't know how many of you have referred to your friends as Satan, um, but Jesus has. 
He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are a stumbling block to me. And why was he a stumbling block? Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 23, he says, for you do not have your mind set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Isn't that what so often gets us into the comparison trap? We're not thinking of the things of God. We're thinking of the things of man. We're thinking of how we measure up, of how we're doing. And we like to compare that across the board to see where we land, to find someone below us or find someone above us. But ultimately, it drives us to lose our joy and to suffer discontentment, insecurity, because we have our minds set not on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so Jesus would correct us as he corrects Peter. He says, you, you as an individual, you that I've created as uniquely as your fingerprints and your DNA, you are the one that I called because you're you. Now be you, not someone else, and follow. Come after me. Imitate me. Go where I lead. And forget the expectations of others. Follow me, my lead. And in doing that, you will discover the purposes, the plans, the opportunities that I have uniquely designed and prepared for you. For you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. It's truth. And you speak so directly to our hearts. Lord, I pray that your spirit would enlighten us to see that you've created us uniquely and good that you've given us the skills and abilities and interests and passions and, Lord, even our weaknesses to be me. Help us to walk in the purposes and plans and opportunities that you have for us uniquely. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen.